Howdy folks and welcome to episode 51 of the Weekly Dose of Euphoria podcast. I'm your host Matt Zapala and this channel aims to promote the incredible benefits of nourishing your body with plants and moving your body in ways that you enjoy. I'm so pumped to be able to share this week's special guest with you all and it's fantastic to introduce a medical professional into the field of podcasts. I think that Dr. Andrew Little is doing incredible things with the platform that he's created and it's all good and well to hear anecdotal evidence from people that are thriving in the community but when you've got a medical professional who is providing us with the cold hard facts about the benefits of a plant-based diet I think there is no other questions that need to be asked. On that note, Dr. Andrew Little is doing incredible things and he's spreading such an important message, as I said before. He sifts through all of the science and provides us with an evidence-based approach to all his content. During today's episode, we do cover some territory. However, we spoke about some pressing topics such as the impact that an animal-based diet has on our health and the health of the planet. He also spoke to us about his decision to raise his little boy on a plant-based diet and shows us that he is absolutely thriving from this way of life. He provides us a no BS approach and feels that it's his duty to share this information with us all. So thank you so much for your time today, Legend. I really appreciate it. Guys, I would grab a notepad and a pen for this one because there is lots of information. Enjoy the show. Dr. Andrew Little, welcome to the Weekly Dose of Euphoria podcast, mate. Mate, it is a pleasure to be here. Um, like I said, I just love getting that uh, the message out to people and, and just trying to do something good for the world. Mate, you are definitely doing something good for the world. You are killing it. And, you know, you're, you're playing such an important role in society, being a, a plant-based doctor and, and, you know, changing the stigma associated with this with this whole community and whole lifestyle change, especially in the, the medical field, mate. So a testament to yourself. Mate, thank you. It's, um, it's definitely, it hasn't been uh, easy. Um, definitely doesn't come without its critics. And, um, and certainly, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't born, I wasn't brought up this way either. You know, it's been a huge uh, life changing um, thing for me. And, um, and I honestly can only just say positive things about it. I've, I've, I've never felt better in my life. So, A hundred percent, mate. And you are living and breathing proof that you can thrive of a plant-based diet, which we're going to get right into later on during the episode. We've got a whole list of topics from debunking myths to linking common diseases and, and inclined death rates to certain animal-based products later on in the podcast, mate. But I want to Bring it all back to the beginning. Talk to us a little bit about what your childhood was like. So um, I grew up in northern New South Wales in a place called McLean, the, the Scottish town of Australia. Um, there's probably about 5,000 people in that town when I was growing up, probably a little bit more now. Um, and it's, it's rural. It's sort of, um, it's sort of country. And, and back in the country, you were always brought up on meat and dairy and and my parents owned a, um, a small supermarket. So, you know, we, we had so much um, meat. We'd, we'd have meat and three veg for, for dinner and, um, and we'd have lots of, lots of dairy uh, because that's what you were told. You know, my parents were, were told that and that's what, that's what we all believed was right. We needed meat for protein and we needed dairy for calcium for our bones. And um, I didn't give the planet 
I didn't give the animals, I didn't give my own health a, a second thought. I, I was probably at a stage where I moved to university. I studied physiotherapy first before I did medicine. Um, and I was drinking, I remember specifically going through three, two three-litre uh, full cream dairy milks a week. So six litres of, of, of dairy milk a week. Wow. And I would eat things like hot dogs for lunch. I remember throwing little hot dogs and cheese and tomato sauce onto a, you know, onto a bit of white bread. And, um, and I just thought it was all about exercise. I was studying physio and physiotherapy and exercise science. And I thought, you know, I was healthy because I exercised every day. And I think uh, me and, and the rest of my mates all sort of thought that. Um, we always joked, you know, it was always chicken and cheese and barbecue sauce sandwiches for, for lunch and, and, and things like that. So, yeah, it was... Um, it's definitely been sort of a, a change in my life from where I was back then to where I am now. Yeah, definitely, mate. And you mentioned before, you know, how you thought it was all about out there, about movement and exercise. Did you ever stop to think about the role nutrition can play in not only your athletic performance or, or your overall lifestyle performance, but how you felt from day to day? Yeah, I, I had no idea about that. I, I suffered um, from a few health issues, I think, everyone sort of has their own issues in, in life. And, and um, I'm, I guess I'm very fortunate in my role that I, I see a lot of people who, um, who suffer from health illnesses. And, and when I'm, when I'm in, unfortunate in that role, I was like, I get to appreciate um, health and appreciate disease and um, not, no one walks around with a label on their head saying they've got cancers or they've got certain diseases and things like that. And you don't really, you don't, you don't realise how much you value your health until it can get taken away. And I see people having their health taken away for them on, on a daily basis. And, and it's very scary. And, and whilst I wasn't super sick, I had a number of issues that, that really sort of affected my life. I used to, I suffered from chronic aphthous ulcers in my mouth that I would just get eruptions uh, of these ulcers on a weekly basis i'd have you know two to three ulcers in my mouth to the point where when i was a youngster my my mum would take me to get blood tests because they thought i might have been immunosuppressed they diagnosed me with some sort of um, autoimmune condition and no one really knew they said i had a low iga level and immunoglobulin a level which is a um which is part of the immune system that lines the the mouth and things and um and so i just accepted it and i went away thinking oh, I just kept using Listerine. I had two or three bottles of Listerine underneath my, um, my, my uh, toilet cabinet every day and, and just, just rinsing my mouth out with Listerine all the time because I thought it was all bacterial. And it wasn't until I got to uni that my mate said, put cortisone cream on it. And I was putting this cortisone and anti-inflammatory on it and, and they'd go away straight away. And I was like, I couldn't believe it. I thought this is absolutely fantastic. And, and the other thing was I started suffering from some sort of form of skin reaction. I thought it was maybe a psoriasis, but me and my brother both had it. Um, and, and it was just these really large red welts on my elbows that were just flaring up and, and they were bleeding every time I scratched them. They itchy. And I was diagnosed, I was prescribing myself the strongest cortisone cream I could find just to keep it at bay. So, and then I also had a fair bit of eczema. I'd always get eczema every winter. I'd have eczema on the top of my eyelids and, and eczema on the, the flexor creases of my elbows, which is very common. And I was, putting the same um, steroid cream on, on that. So it all these anti-inflammatories. And the one big thing that, that really got me was 
at about so from about the age of 18 to 25 obviously i was at uni going out drinking having time my life whatever it was all about just going out and having a drink and at about the age of 25 i'd go out and i just started losing my voice and i would it would just it would just go and to the point where it would take a week to recover i would i would literally sound like darren lockyer for for over a week <laughs> honestly I, I i couldn't tell you how bad it is and to someone who hasn't lost their voice before that they, they don't aren't really understand it's a very social thing being able to talk and we're all social creatures as humans and and not being able to talk you know it's a it's very um it was really annoying and, and i to the point where i started avoiding social situations i started avoiding drinking i didn't want to go out anymore i was, I was having this strain and, and give myself incredible headaches just to talk and um you know it's when i sort of met my wife and we can talk about that later but you know i i I realized that my health was, was pretty bad. But after, after my voice started going away, there was, there was nothing I changed. I was just at 25 years old. It just started just dropping out. And, and so I went and saw an ENT surgeon. Um, well, before I saw an ENT surgeon, I, I saw all these health, um, uh, speech pathologists who were giving me all this vocal coaching. Everyone's telling me that I just talked too much and did all this. And I was like, well, I haven't changed how I've talked. I haven't changed how much I talk. I, I know I talk a lot, but, um, but nothing had changed. And then um, I went to an ENT surgeon. He did a, um, a laryngoscopy. They just do it, put a little um, scope up your nose and have a look at your vocal cords. And it showed that my vocal cords were chronically inflamed. And he said to me, you know, you can go on a, a, a course of uh, prednisone that will settle everything down. And, and so I went on a bit of prednisone for it. And, and then all of a sudden, these little bloody skin cancers started coming up on my lips, just um, actinic keratosis. They're just, they're just, um, very benign very pre-malignant lesions and i had to get them cut off and and we see that happen in people who are immunosuppressed in the hospital people who have um organ transplants that go on a lot of steroids like i was on uh, which immunosuppresses you and then we see little skin cancer lesions coming out because the immune system is constantly keeping it at bay and i and i i realized i was just putting i was treating my whole body with with steroids so i was putting steroids on my elbows i was putting steroids on my eczema i was putting steroids on my my ulcers in my mouth and i was then treating my body systemically with, with steroids to try and help my voice box and it didn't change anything i was still had all these issues the whole time and um when i met my wife she was um she was vegan and um i started to change my diet um but the moment that i went fully vegan and i ditched meat and dairy and everything everything started to change so i haven't used steroids for a very long time my, my voice is is amazing it's it's resilience is absolutely fine there's sure there's maybe sometimes that i get a bit husky but i don't lose it for a week like i used to um i don't certainly don't lose my voice ever again and um and my elbows have all cleared up. Um, and, and I can tell you right now, my brother's elbows are still rampantly sort of, you know, inflamed. Um, and I haven't seen my eczema. And so I, I just couldn't believe it. And I've never felt better. I, I never really understood the power of diet until I started. Like, it, and this happened literally within two, like within a month of, of, of going 100% plant-based. Andrew, that's amazing, man. And like, at that point in time, did you brainstorm, you know, what sort of was the catalyst for these lesions and, and um, 
things popping up in your skin? Did you think it might have been the, the pro-inflammatory foods that you were consuming from the dairy and the, and the animal products? Talk to us a little bit about that. Oh, if you ask me now, I think you're 100% spot on. I remember people saying, oh, you know, these foods reduce inflammation and this reduces inflammation. I thought, oh, that's just, it sounds like a cop-out. Like, what is this? You know, people saying, oh, it just reduces inflammation. What antioxidants from fruit and veggies, it reduces inflammation. But it is genuinely, it is all inflammatory. And I was treating everything with anti-inflammatories. And and we know, and you know, I've seen so much research that shows that people going on a plant-based diet, it is the most anti-inflammatory diet that you can have. So we measure things called CRP, your C-reactive protein, your erythrocyte sedimentation rate, which are markers of inflammation. They're certainly lower in people who follow a plant-based diet or a predominantly plant-based diet. So I, I look back now, and I, I didn't think of it at the time, but I look back now and I was just had signs of, of chronic inflammatory illnesses you know the ulcers in my mouth they're all inflammatory and they're just my skin was just i just erupt with these ulcers and they just i couldn't work out why i haven't seen an ulcer and been plant-based now for three years i was I was vegetarian for maybe four years before that and and it was the only the, the time when i ditched dairy that's when it changed everything like you know I was I was not eating meat for a while. Um, I knew it was I knew the effects of meat on the planet and on, on the animals, and, and also I started to realise it on the health and cancer. But um, it, I, I was still eating cheese, and, and I think cheese is Achilles' heel for a lot of people. It, it was you know I'm, I'll be honest with you, it was delicious. You're eating it, and you think, God, this is delicious. It's very addictive. And um, and as soon as I I watched what the health, I um, I thought, well, I'll give I'm going to ditch cheese. I'm going to um, leave it off the menu for a little while and that's when I really started to notice the health benefits yeah definitely man that's it's so remarkable how you know once we start to link back to the role that nutrition can play in our body and how it can completely re- reverse these things that were so prevalent in your in your body for such a long time now before we move forward Andrew can we just summarize that whole point for the listeners so basically you were fueling your body with pro-inflammatory foods from animal products and your your body was responding in ways by you know giving you these symptoms of lesions and ulcers in your mouth and and um eczema and, and whatnot and then once you started switching towards a, a anti-inflammatory sort of lifestyle from a plant-based whole foods plant-based perspective that's when those you know lesions and symptoms started to reduce is that correct yeah yeah 100 percent. And, and i think you hit the nail on the head, it's about a whole food plant-based diet. So certainly you can go vegan and still eat absolute crap. Um, but just flooding my diet with fruit and veggies, I just eat 90% fruit and veggies now. And you know, whole grains, when we talk about whole grains, like grains in their, in their natural form, you know, seeds and nuts and um, things like that. And, and I really started eating healthy. And that's when I got a really solid interest in, in um, nutrition. And just started, it just was like, I was like a rabbit down a hole. I was just after, I was just hungry, hungry for more information because I, I couldn't believe it. And I have seen so many amazing things with, with lots of my family members and with lots of my friends who have gone on plant-based diets, like some incredible things. Yeah, definitely, Andrew. You hit the nail on the head. Thanks for that, mate. Now, I want to backtrack a little bit for the listeners at home. How was your journey into you know, medicine and what sort of was the catalyst for you um, pursuing a career in that sort of field so um, as I said before I studied physiotherapy and then um, I went traveling I, I 
I felt very um, confined as a physiotherapist, and I think a lot of us do. do. I felt like there was a, there was a roof over my head, um, and and I I just wanted I just wanted something else. It was it was probably something else that I wanted, and I knew medicine was there. A lot of my friends went straight into medicine um, when I went overseas. And I realised I'd go overseas and I'd, and I'd do Europe and I'd go and work over there and things like that. And then I'd come back and, and have a go at medicine. And I had a, had a crack at medicine. I thought I'd give it one go. If I didn't get in, then I'm, you know, at least I can say I gave it a go. And I ended up getting in. And um, I think the catalyst was obviously, you know, my, my mother was a, a theatre nurse, but you know, I never really, I was never really interested in being a doctor. I didn't even give it a, a second thought, you know, coming from a, a small country town. There's no way I'd ever been a doctor. But... Um, that was sort of, I guess, just just wanting a little bit more. And and honestly, I I love my job, and it's something that I enjoy every day. Yeah, that's amazing, mate. I love that. Now, you know, you touched on it before briefly about your transition into you know plant based sort of lifestyle from your wife. Talk to us a little bit about your transition through that, and um and what sort of things were you eliminating from your diet, and and how long did it take you for you to fully transition over to a whole foods plant based from you know, the six litres of dairy that you were having a week before. So, so that is a, that was a, a, a massive transition in my life. I remember my first date with my wife, we went out to a Chinese restaurant and she ordered a tofu dish and I was eating a chicken stir fry. And um, when she ordered the tofu dish, I think that always stimulates people's brains to go, Hey, oh, you're a vegetarian. And, um, and she said, I'm, I'm actually vegan. I, I don't eat any animal products. And I was like, God, I didn't even know. I'd never really heard of a vegan. And, and to be honest, at this stage of my career, I was in my second year of medical school. And I remember saying to my mate in a lecture who I was sitting next to at the time, his wife is a vegetarian. I said, mate, I could never date a vegetarian because I like meat too much. Well, the funny thing is I, I didn't only date a vegetarian, I married a vegan, became one, we're raising our first kid as a vegan. So, you know, people say to me, oh, I could never do that. You know, it's like we all say every single person has said that. Every single person who follows a plant-based diet has said that at some stage. I'll almost guarantee it. But so Sarah just sort of said to me, I just said to her, you know, are you, are you uh, vegan because of cruelty or for the environment? So, so kind of deep down that told me that I knew and I knew that it was cruel and I knew that it was bad for the environment. And I honestly think that the entire world, and I know that the entire world knows that it's cruel and we know that it's bad for the environment, but we all try and justify eating meat in our own way. And certainly that was the case for me. I said, I said to Sarah, I said, look, I don't really want to know about it. I said, it put me off meat forever. And she said, that's the most ignorant thing I've ever heard. And I was like, I said that, like instead of getting upset and emotional like a lot of people do a lot of people get a really sort of solid emotional reaction when you talk about um what you eat it's you know it's um very morally challenging i, I just said to her you're 100 percent right you know and, and i said well what what is it that you've seen that i haven't and and what is it um that that has led you to become a, a vegan and she said well watch your earthlings and watch um forks over knives and so I went home and I watched them and I honestly, I just, I couldn't stare at the TV when I was watching Earthlings. It was just horrendous. And then I watched Forks Open Eyes, which really challenged everything that I had ever believed in as a, as a doctor. Um, and I, I remember just thinking, wow, this is crazy. There's all these doctors talking about this stuff. And, and that just led for a bit more of a drive. So then uh, over the next couple of years, I just started decreasing meat and I was just 
decreasing meat, decreasing meat. I started off just going, right, I'm going to drink soy milk. And I remember hating soy. I was like, this is disgusting. I don't want to drink it. It's so gross. I started putting my coffees to try and disguise it. Um, and then I was just having vegetarian lunches and I was like, right, I'll just have vegetarian lunches. I wouldn't have meat for lunch. And, and I just sort of gradually started weaning myself off meat and it sounds ridiculous, but that's, that's how, and every, every step forward, I just kept taking step forwards. I, I just realized I had to keep, keep moving forward and I had to keep moving forward through this, this sort of evolution really. And, um, and it didn't take me too long. It took me probably about a year and a bit. Uh, I was, well, I was, I was vegetarian for, it, it, it took me about a year or so to, to go vegetarian. Then I was vegetarian for about three years. Um, and I still knew, I, I, deep down, I, I knew what cheese was about and I knew it was bad. And, um, and you know, I, I guess I was just caught in that, that taste and, and taste just overrules a lot of things for some humans. And I, and I realised, no, I, I need to do something. And, and then uh, when I went to Mackay for a rural term as under an as under anaesthetic, so I just decided uh, I saw I saw the documentary and um, what the health and went no nah, that's it I'm giving up cheese so and it was the best thing I ever did so it was just a, a constant um, it was constantly educating myself and just finding out more and and not turning away from it's very easy to just shut down when you hear all the negative stuff you hear, Oh, it's so bad for the environment. Oh, it's so bad for the animals. Oh, you know, and everyone says, Oh, I don't want to see it. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to know about that. I said it, you know, I don't want to know about what happens in an abattoir. Like none of us want to know it because we know it's bad and we all deep down know it's bad, but it's about just educating yourself. And my wife said to me one thing I'll never forget. And I don't know who said it, but it was a quote saying, we must not refuse to endure with our eyes what they have to endure with their bodies. And that really resonated with me because if I was happy enough to eat this meat, then I should be happy enough to watch what they actually go through. And, um, and I, honestly, mate, the last three years, I've never been more fulfilled in my entire life. Wow, mate, it's so true. And, and, you know, often we're so disconnected with the whole process from farm to fork pretty much. And, and, you know, we don't want to know about everything that happens before we, it comes in a nice packaged package display a bit of plastic for you to pick up off your supermarket shelves and I think if we you know were all more educated about the process how it gets to the shelf then it would change a whole you know a whole lot of people's mindset and perspective towards me and that's why the industry you know do a lot and put invest a lot of money into hiding that from people yeah well mate 100 percent, and and you you're spot on and and people definitely need to come to that this conclusion by themselves you can't I've realized that you can't really force someone to see what you see. I remember thinking, God, I've seen all this and going up to my mates and going, Hey mate, like, did you know this? And man, did, have you seen, and people get really defensive and really angry. And, um, and there's, there's physiological reasons for that. Um, but you know, you have to, if you want someone to change, then you have to do it in a, in a very nice manner and non-confrontational manner. And also, uh, give them the ability to make that conclusion on their own because that's important. Yeah, 100%. I could not agree more, mate. So your transition consisted of, you know, slowly eliminating things and continuously educating yourself about the, you know, the whole industry and the, and the lifestyle, the health benefits, the environmental effects that it has. And, and you're, you've come to this conclusion 
three years later and you're, you're absolutely thriving for it. So for people that are transitioning or going through a transitioning phase, thinking about even making a change, slow and steady does win the race. It's a cliche, but in terms of a sustainability and longevity perspective, I think uh, a process of elimination and slowly getting towards that goal is the best way. Oh, you couldn't agree more. And, and, and I found that, I found that people respond to that better too. So in, you know, vegans can be, we can be our own worst enemy sometimes, you know, we can get pretty aggressive and I can understand why, um, because I've obviously seen what other vegans have seen, but, you know, it's, it's all about, I just encourage people to start reducing their meat intake and just, and giving it, giving it a go because, you know, and, and, and providing a, an environment that actually supports people to do that. Because I realized pretty quickly that every, every single vegan said that they'd never give up and they could never go vegan before they did it. So, you know, every single person who's consuming meat right now will say, Oh, I could never go vegan. But, but every single person consuming meat right now, I feel that probably 90% of them are all keen to actually start reducing their meat intake. But they're firstly, I think they're scared because they think they're going to be deficient in nutrients. And secondly, when they talk to people about it, they just get, you know, they might just get a militant vegan who's, who can be pretty aggressive sometimes and, and in their face. And so it's about just supporting people and just saying, hey, look, I understand you feel guilty, you know, because I did. I went through that. I was, I was feeling guilty. I, I remember a very specific time in my relationship with my wife where I was, I was decreasing the amount of meat and dairy I was consuming and I was cooking up a beef lasagna and I was frying up the, the mince on, and my wife had moved in with me by this. She wasn't my wife at this stage. We were just um, dating. She was sort of moved in with me and um, she came up and she said, what are you cooking? And straight away, I just felt my, I just felt like I was being judged. I felt like, you know, these emotions that I felt hot in the head. And I was like, cause I knew deep down what the, what the cruelty was and how bad it was for the planet. And I, she sort of kept asking me questions and I snapped and I said, why, why are you judging me? And she just turned to me and she goes, whoa, that's your own shit right there, mate. You, you, that's your own guilt and you need to own that. And, and she walked away and I was like, she is a hundred percent right. That was my own guilt. That is just overwhelming me. And, and it, and it is for a lot of people, it is their own guilt that is causing, you know, this, this emotional response that when, you know, if this, as the saying goes, people say, Oh, how do you know someone's vegan? I don't worry. I'll tell you the amount of times people tell me that I'm a vegan, like just because I order something, like as soon as I order something, people get an emotional response. So <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's very funny the way that humans interact. Definitely. We are so passionate about our food. And, and as soon as you say to someone that you're not eating something that, you know, they've prepared or, or the same thing that they're eating and auto- automatically turns into an argument. <laughs> it is, uh, it is quite. Oh. Yeah. And, and people are very, people are very interested in it. And, and, and people are in, like want to, you know, I have people talking to me and, and writing to me saying, you know, I'm interested in this. I'm interested in that. And I was like, I had to sift through so much garbage to get to the facts and, and get to the bottom of it all. And, and that's what made me realize I need to get this information out to, to people who are actually keen to start decreasing the amount of meat and dairy, because you can do it. And to be honest, it's way better for you. It's way better for the planet and it's much better for the animals. And it's just, it's about starting. It's just about having a go, give meatless Mondays, meatless Tuesdays, meatless Wednesdays, whatever. You know, just give it, give it a go. 
Yeah, definitely, Andrew. And majority, the fact of the matter is majority of the population still consume animal products. So they're the, the, the target market for lack of a better term. And, and, you know, if we can approach them and support people through a transition and, and encourage them that it is better for their health, better for the environment, you know, better for all these different things in their life, I think support and support them through that. I think that's the way we're going to make a, a step forward. Agree with you, mate. hundred percent. Excellent. Andrew. Now, your bleeding passion about this topic, mate, you've been through from a health perspective and you've seen the results that a, that a plant-based diet can have on your life. Why are you so passionate about this way of life? And, and what, how can we take a step forward to make sure that, you know, we're doing our part? So I think, you know, people always say to me, oh, it's my right, I get to choose whatever I want to do and, and you know you can eat plants and, and I can eat meat and that's absolutely fine people say to me why do you sit here and try and educate us um you know my mates say it and I'm like well you know what you do have the right to choose what you want if if the choices are not affecting anyone and not affecting any anything you know if smoking is a classic example of that if you want to go and smoke then and then go for it go and but don't do it next to me and just do it over there because I don't want lung cancer. And if it's only going to be you who, who gets lung cancer, then okay, I'll, I'll educate that person. I'll tell them this is, what, this is why they should stop smoking. But it is their choice and that's fine. But eat, we know that meat is the number one cause of species extinction. It's the number one cause of deforestation. It's the number one cause of ocean dead zones. It's the number one cause of freshwater consumption the number one cause of antibiotic misuse, which is incredibly important, especially as for me as a doctor, it's very, I'm very passionate about that. And it is one of the leading causes of greenhouse gas emissions. And we are, we are just devastating this planet. You know, the signs, as, as a doctor, I'm trained to, to pick up signs and symptoms of disease. And I, I can tell you the signs and symptoms of a ravaged planet are, are right in front of us. And so when your choices, when, when people's choices are affecting my home and, and your home as well, Matt, you know, and, and also the future of my little boy. You know, I think that that's when I get quite passionate about it. And that's when I think we need to do something about this because when my little boy grows up and looks me in the eye and says, why is our planet in such a bad shape? I want to be able to hold my hand on my heart and say to him, I did everything I could for you because having a little boy just makes me realize it, it like it's it saddens me when i see him so happy and playing in the sand and at the beach and things like that and he's completely oblivious to the crap that we're about to hand down to him and and i honestly think you know the kids are crying out they're, they're marching against climate change they're they're, they're striking and 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 what point as, as adults do we get to where I feel like if we've failed these little guys, they're, they're screaming at us saying, hey, protect our future. And we're the adults. We're, you know, you, I see politics in, in, uh, who are just sitting there talking about coal. We need to burn more coal. I'm like, mate, like, you don't get it. It's not about you anymore, you know, and, and it's about the future generation. The, the world is going to go on. But the survival of humans is, is what's at stake here. Yeah, that's an amazing summarization, man. And, and you are bleeding passion, like I said before. And I guess that sort of statement opens the eyes of, of so many people. It's opening my eyes here today. And, and I wanted to take a, 
a particular health standpoint because I feel like that's your area of expertise and I definitely think there's a there's room for more podcasts talking about a more environmental standpoint but you know heading back into a into a health standpoint Andrew what are the leading causes of death in Australians so coronary heart disease coronary artery disease is is by far away. so heart disease is is the, the leading cause of death cancers diabetes um, in in no particular order but you know they're Honestly, we I just see disease every day, and and to be honest, I, I I often say this. I feel like I'm not a health professional. I'm a I'm a disease professional. You know, it's I don't I didn't promote. I'm not really promoting health as such. I'm just fixing disease, and 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 that's where sort of I guess my passion for for health comes in because I just realise that if you take the top fifteen killers. Of this world, whatever they may be, um, then and you put all those and you put those people on a plant-based diet, they will do way better. And I've seen it my, um, with my uncle-in-law who's battling prostate cancer now, and, and he's now on a plant-based diet, uh, doing absolutely amazing. Um, I've seen it with um, you know all sorts of family members. I've seen people, some of my friends, just lose kilos, like twenty kilos, without doing any exercise. Just, just eating plants and, and avoiding meat and dairy and i have just seen the research there is just a mountain of evidence it's an it's an avalanche of, of evidence that is just getting behind a plant-based diet and the, the problem is that vegetables fruit and vegetables don't make much money so and, and that's the hard part you know so medications certainly make money and um and obviously the big pharmaceutical companies know that um so like I said, the, the health benefits to a plant-based diet are just phenomenal. If if everyone ate a plant-based diet or even a predominantly plant-based diet, uh, then I probably wouldn't have a job, mate. <laughs> it's sad to say that as well, mate, that, you know, like you are labelled as a health professional, but you see yourself as a disease professional because you're surrounded by it day in, day out. And like you touched on it before, they're, they're preventable diseases. So how can we, how are the leading causes of death in Australia linked to animal-based, you know, diets and, and consumption of animal-based foods? And how, you know, can we make a change and switch it to the other end of the spectrum? So there's a lot of mechanisms proposed. Obviously, you know, saturated fats in, in um, meats and animal products and things like that. Um, there's, look, there's so many mechanisms and it is very difficult proving like what is the, the exact mechanism we know if you if you like where does all this come from well if we look at the blue zones the people who live the longest have the highest percentage of centenarians um, which is a people who live to over 100 years um, they eat a predominantly plant-based diet they don't smoke they don't drink they, they obviously do a lot of other things as well but we started looking at their diet and then we start studying their diet and we start studying studying putting people on plant-based diets and we start to see decreasing cancer rates we start to see decreasing coronary artery disease i've seen i've seen articles that can you know, where people go on plant-based diets and they completely reverse coronary artery disease they they reverse some forms of cancers they reverse rheumatoid arthritis uh, they reverse inflammatory bowel diseases the list goes on and on and on and on and you know, when I first read it, I thought, this is no way. Like, if it sounds too good to be true, it normally is. I remember my old man always told me that. But, and people kind of sit there and go, no, there's no way. You know, if it was, if it was as simple as, you know, just eating plants and, you know, why have we got doctors and stuff like that? But it really is that simple. It's just 
you know, regardless of whatever's causing it, it is just, you know, whether it's saturated fats, whether it's, you know, people talk about choline and forming TMAO and all these sort of mechanistic studies that show what's, what's causing it, regardless of what it is, we know that, and, and I think we've, I think we've really complicated it. So we, we, we look down to the very cellular level of, of what's causing this cancer and what particular protein stimulates that cell to actually form a cancer cell when it is just so simple. It's just flood your diet with as much fruit and veggies as you can. And you will literally re significantly reduce and potentially even reverse the top 15 killers in this world. Incredible to hear that statistic, mate. Now, for listeners at home, you, you've mentioned coronary artery disease quite a few times in the podcast. For the listeners at home, can you paint the picture of what coronary, coronary artery disease looks like in a patient from what you see? So I've just um, finished my cardiothoracic term um, where we do coronary artery bypass grafts. So we do a complete synonymy. So so coronary, and, and I can tell you, it's not a very pretty operation to see. It's very, it's probably the high risk, uh, the highest risk surgery that we do. So coronary artery disease is the, um, is the buildup of plaque or um, cholesterol in, in the arteries. And now so many people will argue, you know, what's the mechanism behind it and, and, and what all this is. And, and I'm not even going to get into that because people will just, people just have these ridiculous arguments that go round and round. And, and I, I kind of find them just futile, but at the end of the day, coronary artery disease is you have a narrowing of the arteries that supply the heart. And therefore we talk about the supply of oxygen to the heart versus the demand of oxygen. So when your demand is high and your supply is low, you have a deficiency in an oxygen supply to, to the muscle and therefore some of the cells die in, in, the, in the heart muscle. Now, um, we know and we have known for a very long time that uh, you know, saturated fats and, um, and animal products are, are linked to, to coronary artery disease. And, and the fact is I can show you plenty of articles that show eating um, a plant-based diet can, can reverse it. I know one of my bosses who's a consultant anaesthetist who put his father on a plant-based diet who was headed for a coronary artery bypass graft. And he's 20 years later fine, hasn't needed a coronary artery bypass graft. So it's, it's a very scary condition and, and it takes people's lives very prematurely. And like I said, people always say to me all the time, oh, you've got to die of something. Well, I can tell you right now, when they're faced with uh, death, they're absolutely petrified. And when they're about to come in and have their bypass done, they're very, very nervous. And, and rightly so, because it's a big operation. We, people say to me all the time, well, you know, I think just going on a plant-based diet is an extreme way of life. Well, I would argue that when we do a bypass graft, we saw through someone's sternum, we tunnel down to their heart and we put a big um, tube or a cannula into the, the aorta, the main artery coming out of the heart and also into the vena cava, the main veins going back into the heart. We put the heart on bypass and we stop it and then we take a vein from someone's leg and we turn that vein into an extra artery on the heart and that's when you hear people saying they've got a, had a triple bypass. They've had three new veins turned into arteries in their heart and it's, it's a huge procedure and it's just if you see it you're just left gobsmacked just going you know I, I really want to do everything i can to avoid something like that and, and we know that changing our our lifestyle not just diet but smoking exercising things like that and, and everything we can do can 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 prevent that and and also reverse it
Wow, man, that is so, you know, you've painted such a, a vivid picture for, for all of us here, Andrew. Thank you so much for that, man. It's quite scary and quite confronting for people observing that, let alone going through that yourself. So I couldn't imagine, you know, the implications that that has on someone's life. Oh, it's, it's just huge. And, and it's not, it's not, look, it's, we can get pretty desensitized in medicine, but I always sit there and think, geez, like this is insane what we're doing. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing. Look, it's what those guys do is, is amazing. And what they can do, the cardiothoracic surgeons and, and, and cardiac anesthetists, it's absolutely phenomenal, but it's not as simple. People just go, oh, I'm just going to go in for my bypass. It's a, it's a big operation. And, and we know through lifestyle, you can prevent it. Um, so, and, and like I said, a lot of people say, well, you know, you got to die of something. Well, I can tell you right now when they're faced with that, that bypass, then they're, they're pretty nervous. Yeah, definitely. And if we can go a step forward to preventing that, why wouldn't we? Now, Andrew, onto the next chronic disease that we is on the rise, particularly in the youth of, of Australians, is diabetes and type 2 diabetes. Can you paint the picture for the listeners on whom what type 2 diabetes is and, and how that is linked to, you know, the animal-based diet and, and whatnot? So type 2 diabetes is due to a resistance to insulin. So normally we, to get uh, glucose into the cells, we need insulin, which is released from our pancreas, which binds to the cell and you get uptake of glucose into the cell to be utilised for uh, energy. So body's main and preferred primary source of fuel is glucose. It loves glucose. It's very efficient to use. And... In type 2 diabetics, uh, we start to become insulin resistant. Now, people will say that it's all because of sugar. Um, when then you'll hear other people saying, well, no, it's it's all because of saturated fats and, and the plaque build up in the arteries and things like that. Now, there's no doubt in my mind that I think there's potentially a bit of a, a, a mixture of things going on there. Um, but at the end of the day, we know that if you take type 2 diabetics and you put them on a 100% plant-based diet, I can show you a study you know, right now that is published in the um, American Journal of Nutrition that shows that putting, uh, I think, I can't remember how many people it was, like 30 or 40 um, people on on a plant-based diet who are all on about 20 units of insulin. So they were, they were so resistant to insulin, they have to start injecting themselves with insulin. So we have to inject ourselves with a with a recombinant insulin, so it's an artificial insulin that's been made by a drug company. Um, and these guys all did amazingly well. Most of them came off their insulin. So one guy came off his insulin within just 12 days of a plant-based diet. So from 20, 20 years of being a diabetic, a type 2 diabetic, to being insulin-free in 12 days. And that's, that's pretty amazing, that stuff. I've, I've seen some pretty amazing articles that show the the power of a plant-based diet with when treating diabetes yeah incredible man and i will grab all the details for from you for those articles and where people can do their own research and i'll have them in the show notes for anyone that is interested in these topics now mate i know we touched on it before about inflammation and, and the role that you know these pro-inflammatory foods can play on that what does inflammation look look like to you so it's interesting. We, we had this case the other day and um, it, it was a, a coronary artery bypass graft and this lady had uh, infective endocarditis. So she had a, a, a bacterial infection in her heart 
and obviously um, her she has a her, her what we call she gets what we call septic so a, a sepsis is where inflammation is is throughout virtually in, in layman terms like the inflammation is throughout the whole body so um, the blood obviously has a very characteristic appearance and it's the first time I've ever seen it so we put this lady on bypass and we have to uh, have to do a valve replacement for her and um, the blood in the bypass machine just looked completely different to um, anyone else's and even the boss said to me he goes this is what you see when you see people who are in chronic inflammatory states so the, the sediment sort of that sets on so the red cells will all settle to the bottom and then all the inflammatory mediators will sort of settle on top and it's a very um, distinctive uh, coloring so that was very interesting to see that was in a patient who was very sick now I'm not saying that that happens in people every day that's certainly not what I'm saying but so in, inflammatory states to me just i look at everything and um you know i think of you know asthma and and um all the autoimmune conditions inflammatory bowel diseases things like that eczema all those things and things that i was suffering from they were all inflammatory so so i can't tell you exactly you know is is all this related to inflammation and, and is it but to me it just it made sense like to me for my own personal um, health problems it just made so much sense that you know i don't need any uh, prednisone which is which is a steroid it's an, an anti-inflammatory i didn't need any of that anymore i just i've never felt better like so and, and we certainly that is backed up by research like i said to you before um a plant-based diet has been shown and we can we can delve into articles there that show that um, a plant-based diet has a, a lower inflammatory markers than um than people following the standard western diet that's for sure so yeah, does, does that answer your question? Yeah, definitely, mate. Huge, massive, like, well, I'm going to start that whole sentence again because I've lost my train of thought. It's painted such a such an amazing picture for us, mate, and to go deeper on a chemical level because we hear inflammation thrown around, you know, the woods, particularly in the health field when you're, when you're surrounded by it. So to actually have that picture painted for us is incredible, mate. And, and you touched on it before that it resonates differently and, and arises differently in different people's bodies per different conditions. So yeah, it's a pretty versatile sort of word, isn't it? Yeah. Look, it, it just gets thrown around a lot. Um, you know, what does it mean? Oh, look, in some circumstances, I have no idea, but we certainly know that when people are very sick and um, and their and, and their body is chronically inflamed, and inflammation is is the release of you know all the the body's immune systems, all the cells from the body's immune system to try and fight that that disease and fight that illness. Um, and we we see it in people who are very sick in intensive care and people who you know have um, what we call sepsis, like I said before that we see these inflammatory mediators in their cells, and we know we look at all their inflammatory markers; they're very high. Um, but for the standard person, I just wonder, and, and this is this is purely my opinion. This is I don't have any science to back this up, but I just wonder: Are we in this state of just minimal inflammation? You know, what's there in my in my blood markers? I would have liked to have seen my blood markers and what happened, but there was no doubt I had chronic inflammation in my mouth. I was just treating all my ulcers with with prednisone on my elbows. That was, you know, like I said, it was all steroids and. And, and my voice was just chronically inflamed. So I don't know. I just feel like, is it just a mild version of that? It could be. It, it might not be. But um, at the end of the day, to me, I, I've just seen so much evidence, uh, of, of, like looking at the, the health benefits of a plant-based diet, not only to us, but to the planet, the animals and, and everything, that it's just, it's a very compelling argument once you weigh up everything. 
Yeah, definitely, man. And, you know, there could be some people at home saying inflammation might not necessarily be bad. Our bodies are designed to reduce inflammation. But how can, you know, our bodies being in an inflamed state be the breeding ground for disease and bacteria? Well, that, that's a pretty, uh, that's a true statement. Like, obviously, when someone rolls their ankle and we think, oh, God, i got to get rid of all the inflammation, you know, um, I've got ice compression and elevation. Yeah, that is to try and get symptom relief. Yeah, so if we, if we have less inflammation in our, in our, after you've rolled your ankle, then inflammation, the, the inflammatory mediators there are designed to sensitise nerve endings and make things more painful. So ideally, if you've rolled your ankle, you, you don't want to do that. But you do want all those inflammatory cells there to try and help fix anything, like fix the ligament that's torn or, you know, anything like that. So if we're, you know, sick, and in, in the case of the lady who had that, that infective endocarditis, the, the infection in the heart, obviously she's got inflammatory cells floating around her body that are trying to heal uh, that. And, and that's very important. Our, our body's immune system is very, very smart. Um, but there are times where chronic inflammation is very detrimental, um, and we see it be with chronic pain. Um, you know, we see we see people who have uh, chronically chronic diseases, and we know that they have um, increased markers of increased inflammatory markers and, and and things like that. So, is the body just is the body just trying to constantly heal itself because we're just you know I use the analogy of, of, of um, Dr. Gregor uses beating your shin with a hammer every time. It's not you know the body's not going to heal if you keep whacking yourself in the shin with a hammer like. I don't know the answer to that. Um, it's a very complex. It's a very complex sort of interplay of, of everything that's going on, and I, I don't think you. I don't know if you'll ever find a study that sort of that finds the exact mechanism. But I just wonder. I just wonder. It just there's, there's certain things I do in my life that just make sense, and this diet to me just makes sense. And and from the inflammatory point of view, it just seems to be something that that would definitely reduce this inflammation. Yeah, 100%, mate. Thank you so much for answering that. Now, Andrew, you know, my next couple of questions all tie into to sort of the one main leading cause of death in Australia, and it's something that's on the rise, and that, that's bowel cancer and issues with your, you know, your gastrointestinal tract. Now, what role does the excess protein consumption play in this, and why is there such a big hype about protein, and how does that play in, in you know, um, bowel cancer and how does that often eventuate into um, issues with our gut? So we, I guess, well, I remember looking back and, and thinking, oh, you know, all these um, studies that were showing that um, animal products were linked to bowel cancer and, and then, you know, I remember sort of reading that red meat was linked to bowel cancer and nothing really was solid when I was uh, at med school and then once I started reading into it and looking at all these documentaries, I started to suggest it to some of my mates and things like that. And they were like, oh, this is, that's ridiculous, you know, rah, rah. And then all of a sudden the World Health Organization came out and showed those. Obviously, we all know, we're all very aware of what the World Health Organization came out with, but showed the, the link of, of um, processed meats and red meats to, to cancers. And, and, you know, there are sort of lots of different mechanisms that have been proposed, again, to, to cause bowel cancer but again i think it's my personal opinion has all been very complicated that we because the fact of the reality is it doesn't matter how it's caused the issue is that we know that that lots of red meat lots of processed meat and high animal consumption 
is linked to to bowel cancer and and that's the bottom line so so whatever's causing it um you know people can debate all day long about that and and, and certainly there are mechanisms um you know the, the old um, tmao pathway and things like that but you know it's it's one of those things that it, i feel like it's completely irrelevant we know that animal products are linked with bowel cancer yeah spot on mate plain and simple and and you know the world health organization organization have released these these statements proving that so there's absolutely no doubt about it that it does play a role in in the um like the breeding ground for bowel cancer and, and issues with our gut yep Excellent, mate. Now on to, you know, the next question, which sort of links back into this. And, and it's something that's having a big craze in, in the Western world at the moment, and that's the keto diet. So for the listeners at home, Andrew, I know we were chatting a little bit about the keto diet before. Can you explain what the keto diet is and, and you know, why is it so detrimental to our health? So this is a good topic. The keto diet, so everyone sort of thinks that going into a, a state of, of – so, so what happens is the, the body – utilizes carbohydrates for energy primarily it will choose carbohydrates over before anything else it is the primary fuel source for the body and we can also use fats now we use fats for it for for energy as well protein is used only in very very dire straits so the body will break down muscle to use um uh, to use for energy so use the, the proteins breaking down into amino acids and then it can use that for energy as well um, in dire straight circumstances. Now, the keto diet is essentially having a very low carbohydrate diet and a very high animal fat diet or high fat diet. And, um, and therefore, you go into a state what we call ketosis. Now, to go into ketosis, to go into a true ketosis, you need a fasting um, and be completely severely depleted of carbohydrates for 24 to 48 hours. So, um, and, and the reason people look, I don't really understand why people think a ketone diet is physiologically viable because there, it is a survival. So the, the one fuel source that can cross the blood brain barrier, the single, the only fuel source that can cross the blood brain barrier is carbohydrates. And yes, ketones can cross the blood brain barrier and be used as a fuel source for the brain but it is a survival mechanism that is only there in absolute dire straits when your body is so severely depleted of carbohydrates that you need to rely on these ketone bodies. Now, carbohydrates are the most energy-rich source of fuel. They release the most amount of ATP, what we call adenosine triphosphate, which is a basal um, unit of energy. A ketone does not release as much energy or as much ATP as a carbohydrate. The brain craves a very uh, energy-dense food source, and so it prefers carbohydrates, and it will, the, the, the body will do everything it can to maintain glucose, which is a carbohydrate, in the blood so that there is a stable source or a constant supply of glucose to the brain. Ketones only... Uh, it can only be used in dire straight circumstances. It's a survival mechanism. It's not physiologically viable. So we put kids with epilepsy on ketone diets and we've shown that they have issues with coronary artery disease, which like we looked back before, like high animal fat diet links to coronary artery disease. Well, how does it happen? I don't know, but it, it, it's happening. And that's the bottom line. It doesn't matter how it's happening. The, the short story is it's happening and 
people who are in a, if you ask a type one diabetic, so we talked about type two diabetics, uh, diabetes last time, type one diabetes, where there's, there is an absolute lack of insulin. So their pancreas doesn't secrete any insulin. So type two diabetes was a resistance to insulin. So the body's producing insulin, but there's a resistance in the cells. So if we have type one diabetics who don't have any insulin, so there's no glucose being taken up into the cells. So therefore the body relies on fats to make energy and therefore it produces what we call ketone bodies. These ketone bodies are acidic and they go into a state of diabetic ketoacidosis where they can be very, very sick and they can die from it. It is a medical emergency and I see people in intensive care who are in diabetic ketoacidosis and I can tell you, you ask a diabetic what it's like to be in a state of ketosis. I'll guarantee you, they'll tell you, it is not very physiologically viable. And as we said before, the funniest thing is the keto diet is just a reinvention of the Atkins diet and old mate Dr. Atkins died of heart disease. So it's look, there's just so much garbage out there. And, and at the end of the day, like I say to a lot of people, it, it doesn't it, – so people argue all the time, what's the healthiest diet? What is the best diet? What am I going – you know, what is going to make me live the longest? And I think if you asked 99% of doctors, they would say eat as much fruit and veggies as you can and some people would say maybe eat a little bit of meat and dairy and things like that, but limit the amount of meat and dairy eating. I would say eat a 100% plant-based diet, but is, is it healthier eating a 100% plant-based diet um, compared to eating a 90% plant-based diet with, say, a little bit of meat and dairy? Well, I don't know if you'll ever really find a 100% accurate answer to that. There is certainly evidence that shows that a 100% plant-based diet is healthier, but it's a completely irrelevant question because what is healthiest and what is going to sustain our planet and, and our future for our kids? Well, it has to be a plant-based diet and, and that's the bottom line. Definitely. And I think, you know, instead of arguing about whether 98% or 100% is more better for our health, we, we can all agree that more plants in our diet is, is beneficial for not only our health, but in the environment. So, you know, if we can all take a step towards incorporating more plants into our lifestyle, then we're definitely doing something right. Yeah, and, and that's the bottom line, you know, so people following the keto diet or the paleo diet, you know, people want to be like the, the um, paleo, the bloody um, Neanderthals or whoever they want to be like the cavemen. Well, they the carnivore diet, yeah. Yeah, our, our goals of, you know, back in, back in the cavemen days, your goals were to live to, to 20 and, and try and reproduce with a, a woman and before you got eaten by a lion or before disease killed you. You know, our goals have completely changed nowadays. Our goals are to live to a ripe old age of 100. And I certainly want to be living to 100. My goal is to be mowing my lawn as a 100-year-old on my 100th birthday. I'm going to be out there mowing the lawn, not, not on a right bush mower. But, uh, and and, and to, to get that far, then I think that there would be, there'd be not many doctors that wouldn't say eat as much fruit and veggies as you possibly can. I don't know many doctors that'd be advocating for the keto diet. It just, it makes no sense from a physiological point of view. It makes no sense. And I can tell you right now, no one knows physiology like an anesthetist and it just, it, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, definitely, man. And I think, you know, talking from a, from an aesthetic point of view, I think the reason why the keto diet is, and you know, even greater versions of that in terms of the carnivore diet are, are seeing gaining a lot of momentum is because people are seeing results for that. And can you elaborate on why people see results in terms of a weight loss perspective for us, Andrew, just to nip that in the bud? 
Yeah, certainly. So, look, I have seen some studies that show the benefits of keto diet. So, in diabetics, they show better blood sugar control. Now, that makes perfect sense to me because if you're not eating carbohydrate, then yeah, you should have better blood control. But it's not treating the insulin resistance of diabetes. Like we said, in type 2 diabetes, there's a resistance to insulin. Your body secretes insulin, but the cells are resistant to it. So, to test insulin resistance you need a glucose tolerance test and now none of those studies did gave people a glucose tolerance test so their insulin resistance is still there and we, we can we know that and yes they have lower blood sugar levels but that doesn't mean their diabetes has been cured that's it, it's it's an absolute myth and it's and a the other thing fix is, isn't it what's that sorry it's a band-aid fix you're just removing the carbohydrates from the diet you're not addressing their main issue 100% it's a it's a small band-aid that's not doing anything and and then if you look at weight loss yeah they get a they get a lot of they get a a, a lot of weight loss initially um but then if you look at the studies long term no then they're not really doing any better and, and this is the thing have you ever seen a, a morbidly obese vegan i would have to say it would be so rare you know most people the 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 stigma of a vegan is this tiny skinny little human you know it's like yeah. what what on earth like honestly if you think vegans are so small and, and protein deficient or whatever then surely that could be the best weight loss diet but the, the reason keto guys lose so much weight is um, they deplete their liver and, and muscle stores of glycogen now glycogen is a stored form of glucose and the body stores about 24 hours worth of glycogen so you can power your body on glucose um, just power your body on glucose for, for 24 hours before you're depleted of it. And then you go into what we call the ketosis state. Like I said, it takes about 24 to 48 hours starting before you start to go into ketosis. Now that glycogen stores a lot of water. So that water is you know, just like boxes take diuretics to lose weight, losing all that water, you're going to lose weight too. Now the keto diet, it, it is, there is not, Look, I haven't seen any any good evidence to show that it, it does well. And the studies that, that show that it treats diabetes and things like that, they're flawed as well. So, you know, They're very short-term studies, aren't they? There's no long-term sustainable studies uh, around no, that. There, there is certainly no long-term studies of it. And, and there are definitely long-term studies of people eating fruit and veggies. And and I can tell you from a physiological point of view, looking at our gut structure, our jaw structure, um, the enzymes released in our digestive system and everything about humans. We are designed to eat fruit and vegetables as much as we can. Um, so eat fruit and vegetables like they are so good for you. And there are so many government campaigns coming out now. I've seen food pyramids. They're changing all around the world in Belgium and Canada. They're all changing and fruit and veggies are good for you, so just eat them. It's it's so simple, it, and it shouldn't be complicated. And it, but we we definitely have complicated, and that's what I mean before when I was saying we have complicated almost everything in, in medicine. When it's very very simple, eat as much fruit and veggies as you possibly can. Like I don't know who said it, but eat food mainly plants and in moderation. Definitely, hit the nail on the head. Now, you know, I on that keto keto sort of perspective just to tie it in a bow I, I often ask people that are thinking about adopting a keto diet or, or researching it or whatnot I, I ask them can you sustain that for the rest of your life and 
more than often than not, the answer is no. To be able to be restrictively eating, you know, limiting their carbohydrate intake and, and eating a, an abundance of animal products, it is unsustainable for their health, for, you know, their mindset surrounding food and for the environment. So I link it back then to a sustainable point of view. And can you sustain a plant-based diet using varied whole foods, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts, seeds? And the answer is always yes. So if we're leading towards a more sustainable future in terms of health, longevity and, and environment as well, then plant-based diet is the, the only option for me. Oh, you, you, again, that is spot on, mate. And look, the, the funny thing is, the reality is, me and my wife joke about it all the time, we just pig out and eat as much food as we possibly can. Like, I eat till I'm 100% full and I'm just smashing fruit and veggies, whole grains. I eat whole, like, as in, as in as least processed carbohydrates as I possibly can. You know, we're, the, the amount of food we eat in this household and not one of us put on a single kilo weight. And, you know, I just, I, I went to the beach with one of my very good friends yesterday who recently went on a plant-based diet, probably about six months ago. She hasn't done any exercise since, you know, giving, giving birth. She was telling me, she's like, I haven't done any exercise whatsoever. And she's lost about 20 kilos just from re removing meat and dairy from her diet. And I was like, it, that, that is amazing. She looks terrific and you know i said to her i said can i use you as a story in anything i talk about because i was just blown away by it she's unreal incredible and the, and the best sort of evidence is, is anecdotal evidence isn't it you are a walking proof and you're you know a walking billboard so you can trial and test yourself really there's only so many studies that can it can actually do with so many variables so if you you know adopt uh this lifestyle and, and see the results then you know anecdotally you're you're the best person to ask well, I hope so. I'd like to think that uh, with all my training and, <laughs> and the anecdotal stuff, I can, I can definitely convince some people, but yeah. <laughs> definitely, mate. Now, thank you so much for, for wrapping up all the, you know, the common myths that we, we see surrounding nutrition and, and plant-based nutrition. You summed it up perfectly that we do overcomplicate things. So I want to I take another step into this podcast, man. I know we've been chatting for a while and, and I'm cautious about your time as well. Now, what is life like for you as a new father, Andrew? I know you, you, you just recently had a, a baby boy. You and your wife must be stoked. Talk to us a little bit about that. Mate, I've got all the time in the world to talk about my, my little boy. And uh, so don't worry about my time. Um, yeah, it, and, uh, and also my wife, I think she's just an amazing mother to that little guy. And, and having, having that little guy in my life is just, he's just seriously just means everything to me like and and i've never been i've never felt so fulfilled um until he came into our lives and you know uh we just as a family we just feel we get closer and closer every day and and i think that's part of health as well is is having good family connections um you know we know it's not just it's not just about eating a, a, a plant-based diet it's about you know exercise and, and having those family connections and strengthening those connections of your family and feeling that love and and you know and, and avoiding smoking it's it's everything and, and also i think sleep is a, is a big factor in that which is always going to be tricky <laughs> with um but it's honestly i i remember saying to my wife uh when we were we were not married um by the way my wife agreed to marry me when i uh was still eating meat so <laughs> she was not judging anyone by the way but um when i was when we were before we got married um, she, I said to her, look, I really don't think 
bringing a kid up on a plant-based diet is the right thing to do. You know, I wasn't brought up on, on that. And, and, you know, and what about calcium for cow, calcium from cow's milk and protein from meat, all that sort of stuff. And, and I remember people saying to me, Oh, it was meat that made the human brain evolve. Well, mate, that's, that's a whole nother podcast in itself. <laughs> I love that topic. I absolutely love that. Topic. It's one of my favorites, but it, I, I, it was pretty irrational of me to say that because you know when when we first had Harry Harrison was his name um, he he came into our lives a year and a half ago and um, I was very I was pretty fixated on his growth parameters I'd, I'd do his growth parameters every every month and just make sure he's developing and, and obviously checking his milestones but he has just just blown me away and just proven me wrong on so many occasions just how his development is just amazing and i'm i often i'm not saying this to to say oh look at my little guy and, and look how good he is i'm saying this because so many people say to me that you cannot raise a kid on a plant-based diet well that is utter garbage because this little guy is is and, and, you know he's was walking at 10 and a half months and walking well his brain his his head is literally a centimeter off the the scale when you look at his head circumference it's he's got a He's got an enormous head, and um, and and as, as I've always said, that's definitely comes from his mother's side, not from his father's side. <laughs> and um, and he he's literally like he's eighteen months now, and he can say his entire alphabet. He can count to twelve, and he can say most of his colours. And it's just like I just look at him, and I'm like, like I said, I've, I've got to stress, I'm not saying that to say, look how good my little guy is. I'm saying that because. There's so many haters out there and I see articles all the time where it says people who raise their kids vegan should go to jail. It's a form of child abuse and, and stuff like that. I'm very passionate about this, Matt. And, and it's like, so for me to see my little guy thriving and, and how well he's doing, that makes me very proud. And it makes me very proud of my wife because she's put a lot of time into him and she had a very, very successful career. She was quite high in, in finance um you know she went to harvard university and has a finance degree and she put all that on hold to raise this little guy and and she signed her papers uh, you know six months ago saying she's not going to go back to work for for a while until she's happy you know some say she will but but he just it, he's just hitting those milestones like there's no man's business it's he's, he's unreal and he's this happiest little guy i just absolutely love him to death yeah, definitely, mate. You are super passionate, and as you should be, you and your wife are doing an incredible thing. And, and I guess no one really knows what it's like raising a, a new baby until you're living in it. It's the sleep deprivation and whatnot, mate. So definitely a testament to you guys. Now, you know, you've definitely answered my next question, is bringing up a child on a plant-based diet safe? Now, digging a little bit deeper into that, what are some must-haves that you know, if you're a parent and you're thinking about bringing up your child on a plant-based diet, what are some must-haves that they should be including in their diet? And, and is it as complicated as what we pursue it to be? Or, or talk to us a little bit about that, mate. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's not as complicated as what it should be. It's very, very simple. Um, and the, the simple fact is there is nothing that you can get from meat that you cannot get from plants. And, and people will come at me from all angles on that and and that you know vitamin b12 is is the, is the one thing so there's four essential nutrients that i that i recommend being careful of um the first and foremost 100 is vitamin b12 now b12 doesn't you can't get it naturally from meat either because most cattle like you know 90 so i think like i was looking at the other day 70 percent of cattle are in in factory farms and 98 99 percent of 
beef, of, of pork and chicken and turkeys are all um, in factory farms and they're not eating, they're not getting B12 from the ground. So B12 comes from the ground, from the soil. So from bacteria in the soil and it needs cobalt in the soil to activate it, hence the name cobalamin. Now most cattle and, and most chickens and, and pigs are not eating from the soils. So therefore most B12 supplements are going to cattle. So whether you're, you're taking a supplement from B12 or whether you're getting it from meat, you're getting it through a supplement either way. So as I said, there is nothing that you cannot get from plants that you can get from meat. Now, B12 definitely, you 100% need to supplement that. And that is not a question of our diet. That is a question of modern farming practices. We, we use pesticides, which kill the bacteria in the ground um, that produce B12. We're over farming, we're reducing the cobalt in the ground. So there's no uh, cobalt there to activate the B12. And also um, someone following plant-based diet will get all the B12 they needed from, from freshwater streams when it rains, that soil would have been washed into freshwater streams. There would have been an abundance of B12 in there. Uh, but we now sanitize our water, which kills our bacteria. It also kills harmful bacteria such as cholera and things like that. So it's important. But B12 is inessential. An, an, an and now there's, I, I think there's probably three ways to supplement it. First of all, you can take over a thousand micrograms either under the tongue or orally a week. Doesn't matter. There's no difference between sublingual and oral. Take a thousand mics a week, once a week, twice a week if you want. You can take about 100 mics a day, 50 to 100 mics a day if you like or you can rely on fortified foods. So if you're having enough fortified foods through the day, I know there's some soy milks that have fortified B12, there's some nutritional yeast that have fortified B12. Personally, I just take about 100 mics a day, so I know I'm definitely getting um, my B12 for the day. So B12 is one. Um, iodine is another one to watch out for. Again, iodine is not just because you're vegetarian or vegan. Um, the government fortified salt. It was a government initiative because we know there's iodine deficiencies. Our soils are becoming um, depleted of iodine. So that's another one to watch out for. I use a little bit of kelp powder. Um, so just being making sure kelp is, is loaded with, with iodine. You just got to be careful. But, um, just make sure you're only consuming the right amount. Um, people say vitamin D. Um, so personally, I'm, I'm not... I, I do supplement with a vitamin D3. It's from lichen. Um, it's a plant uh, called reindeer moss. Um, and it's, it's like it grows on rocks and things like that. It produces vitamin D to protect itself from the sun. There is a, a vegan-friendly version of it. Um, if you were getting 30 to 60 minutes of sunlight a day, then you wouldn't need to supplement with vitamin D3. It's, your body makes it all as much as it needs. So, and the only other one uh, that I would be concerned about is omega-3s. And all you need is a tablespoon of flaxseed a day. You'll get all the omega-3s you need. So omega-3s, when we talk about omega-3s, we talk about ALAs. Um, and then we've got the longer chain. So they're all long chain omega-3 fatty acids. The longer chain, DHA and EPA. So a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, vegan diet's completely flawed you don't have DHA and EPA. The body makes DHA and EPA. And it's not considered an essential nutrient because the body makes it. People say, well, it doesn't make enough. Well, yes, vegans and vegetarians have lower levels of DHA and EPA, but it's never been shown to be bad for our health. It's absolutely fine. We've, we've never, ever had, I've never seen anyone come to the emergency department with a DHA deficiency. <laughs> um, but if you, I've got some research to show that if you eat a diet rich in ALA, so from flaxseed, about three grams a day, which is one tablespoon, you increase the amount of DHA and EPA in your blood and you get all you need. Now, there's two exceptions to that. The only other two things that I recommend. So 
My wife supplements DHA and EPA um, because she's breastfeeding. And I will also feed a DHA and EPA supplement, an algae-derived DHA and EPA, because you avoid, obviously, the issues with fish and you obviously leave the fish alone so they can... So we don't have fishless oceans in the next couple of between the next couple of decades, but it, the reason I do that is because there's no evidence to show that supplementing with DHA and EPA is bad. So if you want to supplement DHA and EPA, then then go for gold. Um, it's absolutely fine. It's not bad, but the, the evidence is, is is so thin, and it's and it's very debatable as to whether there's a benefit for breastfeeding mums and for kids. And I thought, well. What's the downside to supplementing? Nothing. What's the downside to not supplementing? Well, is it is it going to be a problem? I don't know. Um, the evidence is is very thin. So I just give it my wife. My wife takes a supplement. My little boy gets that through breast milk, and then when he's off breast milk, we'll give him a little DHA supplement intermittently. But the funny thing is, to get your recommended daily intake of or your recommended weekly intake of DHA, you need to be consuming two to three serves fatty fish a week and that's not salmon i don't know anyone who does that and i've certainly never done that my whole life so if you know and my brain functioning is fine we think we need omega-3s for brain functioning my my brain's been completely fine the whole time i've got through all my anesthetics career with it so i you know like i said it's it's so complicated mate it all comes back to what we've done we've complicated it and i think it's all very simple um i don't take a dha and epa supplement and i haven't for the last eight years and I haven't had any fish for the last eight years um, and my brain works fine. I got through all my anesthetics exams. I'm studying for my final anesthetics exam now and my brain seems to be retaining. <laughs> so I'll let you know if it changes. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, you are definitely thriving. Your whole family is definitely thriving, in particular your little boy. So yeah, there is absolutely no question that it is safe for a, for a child to be brought up on a plant-based diet. Just saying that if you're, you know, still wanting to have some questions that need to be answered, consult a dietitian or a plant-based nutritionist and they'll be able to help you through um, more specifically if you have any any medical conditions or whatnot. So definitely don't hesitate to reach out to one of those guys. Andrew, mate, this has been epic, this whole podcast. I've learned so much. Thank you so much for your time, buddy. Now, you know, I was listening to a, a interview that you've done with Ben from... Uh, from Gardner Vegan, and he's doing incredible things. He was a podcast guest earlier on in the in the channel as well. And you said something that really resonated with me, and it's talking about advice given from particular health professionals and how you know certain health professionals will prescribe this, and other professionals will prescribe something that's on a complete opposite end of the spectrum. How can we bridge the gap between you know the varied advice from the health professionals, and how does the the over complication of advice impact the consumer's choice? In, into what to do yeah look it's this is the, the the big problem out there is that like i said before we always argue about what's the healthiest diet and, and what's the best way to you know treat this condition and, and we we just complicated everything and and to be honest um you know uh, a plant-based diet is certainly if at the very minimum I can tell you right now that it is not more unhealthy than any of the other diets. There's, a, there's zero evidence to show that. There is a stack of evidence to show the complete opposite, that it's actually healthier. So, but there is zero evidence to show that it is, it is less healthy. And, you know, like lots of doctors will, will have this debate about what's the healthiest diet. And, and I just think it's, it's so irrelevant. So even if at the very bare minimum, a plant-based diet is just as healthy, 
it is certainly the only diet that's actually going to sustain our planet and sustain our future. So there's so many good reasons to do it. But the trouble is all that the dairy industry and the meat industry need is a little bit of doubt and a little bit of fear tactics and people start to start to question and worry and people fear tactics works very well mate if you, as soon as you get people scared they'll be like no nah, shut down they'll just go back to what they'd normally do and you know an article came out recently about choline from eggs saying you know people who follow a plant-based diet are going to be lack intelligence you know or say that to my little boy or you know I'm, I'm more than happy to have that argument with someone i think you know i've, I've been fine so far getting through anesthetics and and I haven't been watching my choline. I certainly didn't even know about it until a while ago. But it creates that little bit of doubt and that little bit of fear tactics, and and that makes people shut down and they just and they and they freak out. And and so all these the different information from different sources is is just so confusing to the general public. And I feel sorry for the general public because I have to sift through so much crap, and I had to sift through so much crap to get to the bottom of it i used to just think oh my god you know meat made the human brain evolve so no i definitely need to eat meat i was, I was trying to justify to myself why i needed meat i'll be 12 you know all this sort of stuff and and the more i looked into it the more simple i realized it was like you can get every nutrient you need from a plant-based diet you can thrive on a plant-based diet kids can get it athletes can get it I'm about to watch the game change tonight. I can tell you right now, there's some massive units on that show who are huge, who have not a problem with protein deficiencies. And the thing is, we can save the planet, we can save the animals, we can we can do all that sort of stuff on a plant-based diet. And it just it, it is so simple. And I think doctors are probably the worst people to talk about it because we're very headstrong. Um, and we've studied a lot about disease and we, and a lot of us think we know best, but at the end of the day, like I said, the signs and symptoms of a ravaged planet are there and we certainly need to do something about it and we need to start helping this planet, helping the animals and also helping each other with our health. And, and there's no doubt in my mind that you eat more fruit and veggies, you will be healthier amazing mate thank you so much for summing that up for us and i've said it before in almost every podcast and i will say it again if athletes are thriving at the top level from a whole foods plant-based diet there's no reason why the everyday joe blow can't thrive as well oh mate 100 percent. you know like you know the world strongman patrick babomian like i can't even say his last name you know he's a massive unit try to tell him he's protein deficient you know he's, he's got world <laughs> records for lifting and at the end of the day there's so many I follow so many athletes who are plant-based, who are massive. Um, you know, there's everyone, everyone is, was, it, everyone tries to justify a reason to eat meat. And I did. Um, I'm not criticizing anyone for that. I used to try and find re reasons to justify eating meat, but I can tell you right now, there is no justification for it because everything you can get from plants and it's certainly a very fulfilling lifestyle. It's, Every day I get to wake up and all my choices throughout the day resonate with my values and my morals and you just feel good and, I've, and I feel from physically healthy and mentally healthy as well. Andrew, absolutely incredible, mate. You are a wealth of knowledge and, and I can't thank you enough for your time, mate. Just before we wrap up the podcast, where can people get in contact with you, mate? Well, uh, we talked about this before, Matt. Um, I I'm, was never really a social media person um, and I deleted all my social media accounts, but I realised that I needed to have my voice heard. And so I took to Instagram 
Uh, you can find me at plant-based uh, underscore Aussie underscore doctor. So plant-based Aussie doctor um, or just search Andrew Little MD. It'll come up there. I do, I do little videos every week just um, to dispel some myths and things like that. Um, I even just put up a few little photos of my little boy. He's, he's a lot cuter than, um, than me. So um, <laughs> he's more, he's more appealing to the public than, than me, but, um, you know, come, jump on and, and you look, I'd love to get the message out there. My target is people who are just looking to decrease meat, their meat and dairy consumption and, and, and put aside their, their myths. You know, I, I'm not out to change vegans. They're already plant-based. I'm out to change those people who, who want to start reducing their meat and dairy and who want the facts, who don't want the bullcrap. They don't have to sift through a whole stack of, of research. I'm just going to put videos up and you can hit me with questions. I'm more than happy to. All I want to do in this world is just make the world a better place and preserve a future for my little boy. And, and if I can help people along the way, then, then you know what? I've done my job and I'll die a happy man. But I, as I always say, if I didn't use my credentials, to help this planet, then I wouldn't die a happy man. Andrew, incredible, mate. You took the words right out of my mouth for my next question. I, I, I've said it before. I can't thank you enough for your, for your time today, mate. You are a wealth of knowledge and, and it's been incredible getting your perspective from a physiological point of view um, right down to the environmental factors. And we've definitely penciled in some more dates for some podcasts because I reckon we could chat for hours, my friend. <laughs> Oh, mate, we have got so much. We've scratched the surface. Uh, you know, like I said, I love talking about the brain, how it functions, what it functions on, evolution of the brain, if you, if you believe in that. And I'm a scientist, mate. We've got, we got all sorts of things to talk about. So definitely pencil me in. I love spreading the word. And I, I just, anything I can do to help people, even if someone just decreases a, a meat meal once a week, I've, I've done my job. Definitely, mate. And just before we wrap up the podcast, Andrew, if when it's all said and done, what sort of legacy do you want to leave behind to your little boy? Well, I think we've sort of talked about that, that legacy, but I think um, one of the biggest things that, that one of the quotes that I live by in my life is do the best you can until you know better. And then when you know better, do better. And as long as my little boy follows that, I don't think he'll go wrong. I'll make sure that, the, the way he treats humans is, is with respect and the, and the way he treats the planet with respect and the animals with, res, with respect, you know, I just want him to, to live a very rewarding and satisfying life and just cause minimal harm along the way. And, and if, he can, if he can help people along the way, then, then so be it. But like I said, just, we've just got to do the best we can until we know better and then when we know better, do better. And we, we know better. We all know better. And so we should be starting to do better. Andrew, mate, you've um, hit the nail on the head. And, and once again, can't thank you for your time, mate. I'll let you go go have a kite surf. I think you mentioned you were heading out to do that before. So I'll let you enjoy the same day. I, I, I was out there before, but um, the Savo, I'm off for night shift and uh, going to see the game changes before night shift. So Beautiful. it'll be epic. Sounds Get out and see it if you haven't. Yeah, definitely, mate. I'll, um, I'll have to I'll find a legal way to stream that just between you and me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, good one. Get the message out there. That's what it's all about. Yeah, definitely. Dr. Andrew Little, thank you so much, mate. Matty, it's, it's been a pleasure. And honestly, I should be thanking you. You're the one who created this platform to get this information out there. You're the one that approached me. So, you know, you should be thanking yourself because you're doing more to spread this message than, than a lot of people. So good on you.
Thanks, Legend. And that's this week's dose of Euphoria. Connect with myself and the Euphoria Health community on Instagram or Facebook at Euphoria Health. Through these channels, you'll find cool workouts, plant-based recipes, and daily challenges. Until next time, guys, I'm your host, Matt Zapala, and remember, don't settle for anything less than Euphoria.